Well, good morning again. Man, that's better. That's a better good morning when 300 people are here. I think we're just going to do this from now on. Um, thank you for those that are trying to join us online. And if you're ever concerned when we cancel services, the second service that we stream, if people come in from the church, our doors are open and we, we even have coffee here this morning. So um, our friends and family, any guests that might stumble in, we're, we're here for them. And some of them are actually here today. So I'm really glad that you're here. I'm going to continue on in our study through the letter of Titus, and if you haven't been with us through the study, uh, we've just been looking through each verse, verse by verse. We love to read the scripture and study it. Uh, every word, every word is, is God's word, and uh, in this part of the letter, uh, in this section, we get to how Paul connects doctrine, teaching, to practical living. This is this is God's way of saying, now that you know the truth, you know good teaching, you know sound doctrine, you know this, this is how I want you to influence the world. This is how I want you to go out there, outside of these walls, not just within your gathering, and make a difference so that people that don't know Christ, they don't know God, but they will see Him through your good works. They, they will get a glimpse of who God is through, through your life, and that's God's intention. And uh, Paul connects that here in chapter 2. We talked about the men and the women in the first eight verses. And when he begins to introduce our good works outside of this relational discipleship, he begins with slaves. Slaves. So in Titus chapter 2, verse 9, he writes, Slaves are two. So if you notice earlier in chapter 2, it's older men are two. Women are too. He continues to say that, and now he says slaves. What does he mean by slaves? This word for slaves, you've probably heard of it, it's doulos. It's used 126 times in the New Testament. This is not a small topic. This isn't rare. This isn't like, oh yeah, there's this one thing that most of you won't deal with. This is a big, heavy topic. Slaves. Um, he actually calls himself a slave, a doulos, in the first verse of this letter. So in Titus chapter 1, he says, he writes, Paul, a servant of God, uh, in verse 1. Paul, a servant. Now, in English, we translate that servant instead of slave for many different reasons, partially because of the complexity of the idea of slave. The ancient world had an idea of what a slave is that we don't necessarily have today. You know, our American history has somewhat skewed the, the, the concept of a slave was so complex for thousands of years in world history. Uh, the ancient world had, um, had four characteristics that were true of like every nation. So if you were to live a thousand years ago and a thousand years before that, every nation, tribe, culture throughout all the world, pretty much nearly everyone, everyone that we have a historical record of had these four characteristics. They were patriarchal. That means that they, there was male leadership. Now, sometimes this changed if there was a queen or there was a woman leading, but mostly it was patriarchal because of the way that God designed men. They were able to defend, fight, and do things to overpower, and so men were usually in the, in the role of leadership. It was monarchical, which I know is a famous word. It just means there was one king, one emperor, one chief. So a characteristic part of their worldview is there's one leader. And then they were polytheistic. That means they believed in many gods. 
So, I mean, you can't even read the first few books of the Bible and you realize there's so many gods. You know, we, we read about Egypt. Egypt had a comprehensive theology. Before Moses brought the slaves out of Egypt, they had idolatry. They worshiped false gods in many ways. You can go to a museum today. There's a really great museum in Kansas City. Uh, I think it's the, uh, the Nelson Atkins Museum. It's amazing. You have artifacts that are thousands of years old that demonstrate how people in every culture, not just Egypt, people in every culture thought there were many gods. And then four, slaveholding. It just is. We don't have to argue about it. It's just a fact. Every culture, every country, every state, every nation, they had slaves. But it wasn't slaves in the sense only like we think of pre-American Civil War slavery in America. Slavery was more about economics and power than it was about race or something else. It was just a form in which uh, society developed and grew. So slaveholding was just a fact. And there were four different kinds of slaveholding. So if you lived a thousand years ago and before, there were four different kinds of slave slavery or slaveholding. There was national slavery. And I give examples on here. I'm not going to be able to read through the whole thing. But you can even read all four of these in the Bible. There's national slavery where a nation would enslave other people who happen to live there or next door, that kind of thing. It was mainly for economics or a fear of an uprising. An example would be Israel with Egypt or uh, the Gibeonites, I believe, with in Joshua chapter 9, if you want to read about that. There's also war slavery. Slavery would happen because a nation would go, uh, would fight with another nation, and if they won, they basically would take them as captives and use them as slaves. Uh, you had debt slavery. slavery. This is when people, they couldn't pay off a debt. So in order to pay off their debt versus dying, they would give themselves as slaves, and this was normally temporary. It's like, you know what, I can't pay this debt, so I'm going to work for a period of time, and usually they'd be released. Um, An example of that is in Leviticus 25. And there was voluntary slavery, which is similar. Some people voluntarily... uh, gave themselves as slaves. Now, why would they do that? That sounds so odd to us today. They would do that if they wanted to secure a place in a household. So some households were, think of it as famous, powerful, rich. There were certain households that they wanted to be a part of that household instead of just having their little thing on the side. Not everybody was individualistic like we are today in America. Some people, it was very communal. People wanted to belong to a community, so they'd give themselves as slaves, or they just needed work. So it's often called voluntary or indentured servitude, if you've ever heard of those concepts. And the point of me saying this is the attitudes and treatment of slaves varied greatly from every household, country, city, master to master, household to household, The attitudes and the treatment of slaves varied, and even the kinds of slaves they had varied. Not everybody was treated the same uh, throughout the world, and so they're very different. Some were treated humanely, inhumanely, as property without dignity or rights. We've seen that in some of the darkest chapters of our country's history. And some were treated like employees. Some were treated like friends of the family and even family members. So if I can give you, uh, just for sake of an example, a modern example, if you've ever, if you know the story of Batman, and Batman has his butler, 
that butler is like part of the family, but technically in the biblical sense, he would be called a doulos, a slave. And so you just have to understand when the Bible addresses slavery, it does not approve of slavery. It doesn't say all forms of slavery are good and just treat people poorly. Uh, the Bible actually addresses it. So what does God's word have to say about it? The most important thing that every Christian, every Christian should know, our young people, our college students need to know this. The Bible does not promote or excuse abusive or oppressive treatment of any human being, no matter who they are or where they're from, even including slaves. And, and it's important to mention it because, so that you guys know, a couple hundred years ago in our country, there were certain churches that would argue for the slavery that was going on, and this was their reasoning, Titus chapter 2. Now, it's not only in Titus chapter 2, but they'd say Titus chapter 2 mentioned slavery, so doesn't the Bible say that this is fine, that this is okay? And the fact is, no, it does not. It, that, that is not the case. The Bible mentions lots of things. Does it approve of them all? It mentions murder and prostitution and polygamy and all kinds of things. Does it Just because it mentions it doesn't mean that it approves of it. So I'll give you just a few examples of how God instructed his people to treat slaves. This is just giving you a taste of God's instruction and how we as his people should even think of the way that the Bible addresses this. So in, in Exodus chapter 21, the first ordinance after the Ten Commandments, so Moses gives the law, the Ten Commandments, the first words after the Ten Commandments are this, these are the ordinances that you are to set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he is to serve for six years, then in the seventh he is to leave as a free man without paying anything. This, this became uh, what they called the Sabbath year release. So the very first issue that God addresses after the Ten Commandments happens to be slavery. In Deuteronomy 15, when Moses was repeating this at the end of his life, after the 40 years in the desert, he says, you must set him free in the seventh year. When you set him free, don't send him away empty-handed. Give generously to him. Who's the him? The slave. Give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you with. Now, just take in the tone of how God is talking to his people about this is how you treat slaves. Slavery existed. It's just a fact. And it still exists today, actually. We just doesn't exist in the same form in our country. Slavery existed in Bible times. And God wanted to transform the system to set people free. He addresses slavery, and the way he addresses it is people need to be set free. God was directing his people and still directs us today to a different worldview. Don't look at other people as your property. Don't treat them as your property. They have dignity. They're made in the image of God, and they are to be set free. Uh, and I'll give you just a few examples because... I know that some young people, especially apologetically, this is an issue. Some people actually say the Bible is outdated and wrong because it promotes slavery, and it just does not. Number one, or it won't be number one, but on the screen or on the slide, hopefully we have one. Uh, kidnapping was outlawed and punishable by death. In Exodus 21:16, whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death, must be put to death. There's zero tolerance for forcing someone into slavery, to kidnap someone, to take them. Uh, 
Whether he sells him, which is talking about selling someone into slavery, you're not, you're not allowed to do that. It's never excusable or okay. Or the person is found in his possession. You cannot force someone into slavery. Uh, killing a slave was outlawed and punishable by death. In verse 20, when a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies under his abuse, the owner must be punished. The punishment for striking someone and killing them is the death penalty. In God's law, no excuse for treating them as property or animals. You could kill animals. Uh, you cannot kill a person. Uh, unfairly, unjustly, it wasn't allowed. And also, abusing a slave was outlawed. Verse 26, when a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his tooth. This is so odd to us because we don't deal with this kind of interaction today in our culture. But what he's saying is you can't abuse a slave. If you strike them and you hurt their eye, if you knock out their tooth, they get to go set free. What is God saying? You do not abuse and mistreat slaves. So the Bible's clear in that it outlaws the abusive or inhumane treatment of every person, including slaves. In Jesus' day, this is now to our context, slavery still existed in all the forms that it has for thousands of years. So in Jesus' day, in the New Testament, with the new church, they experienced slavery in a very real way. As a matter of fact, in the Roman Empire during Jesus' day, it's estimated about one in every four people were slaves. Slavery existed, but it wasn't only abusive, war, na national slavery. Some of it was what we would consider employment. Think of lawn care workers, maintenance workers, uh, stewardess. Uh, think of waitresses at at the restaurant, or servers. They actually get the name servers from this word doulos, which means servant or slave. So we still have servants today that the Bible, their day, they would call them a slave, but it's not in one context like what we would think. It is a complex uh, system. So in Jesus' day, slavery still existed, and it begs the question, how did Jesus and the New Testament church, how were we called to treat slaves. How are we supposed to treat slaves? If we lived 2,000 years ago, what's the Bible's instruction? How do we treat these people? Because they existed. Slaves exist. How are you supposed to treat them? Well, if you know Jesus's commands, there are love your enemy. So if you had a slave that you felt was your enemy, love them. Uh, treat others as you want to be treated. That means everybody, including a slave. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your slave would be your neighbor if you had one, or someone else's slave would be your neighbor if they had one. The letter from Paul to Philemon is the most popular in the New Testament. It actually addresses a slave to his master. And what does he teach us? Treat a slave as your brother and set him free. That is the overarching call of the letter of Philemon. If you have a slave, you set him free, treat him as your brother, treat him as your own family. God's clear commandment could not be more obvious this is how you treat slaves you love them and you set them free so that's that's the treatment but what does the bible say to the slave so if i'm a slave living in jesus's day i'm like go jesus go new testament church they're all about loving me and setting me free that sounds great but what am i supposed to do if i'm the slave let's say i'm the slave and i'm following jesus what does god want me to do how should a slave live the Christian life? 
And that's where we connect the dots to you and me. Let me ask you a question before we get to the next slide. Are you a slave? Are you a slave? How would you answer that question? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 26, 26 through 28, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That's uh, the Greek word diakonosi. We think of deacon. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. This is the same word that Paul uses to Titus, doulos, slave. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if we want to follow Jesus in becoming great, if we want to be what Jesus says, this is the greatest among you, this is how you are the best of who I called you to be, we have to become slaves and servants to the people around us. And what does service and greatness look like? That's Titus chapter 2. So I wanted to give a history and a background to Titus chapter 2 verse 9 because the Bible does not promote abusive treatment or inhumane treatment, the slavery that most people think of in our culture. It does not promote that. It doesn't permit it. It doesn't allow it. It doesn't condone it. It doesn't say it's okay. It's against it. And how are we supposed to live our lives? How are we supposed to serve? If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to live the way that Jesus has called us, we have to live as slaves to one another. And in order to do that, Titus 2 gives the first step, and it's serve with integrity. If you want to be a servant to the people around you and to be the best you could be, be like a slave. What does that look like? Serve people with integrity. And that's with obedience and submission. In Titus 2, verse 9, he begins, Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything. Colossians 3.22, Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Serving people with integrity includes submission and obedience. And you know what? This begins at home. Part of the role of parenting is teaching your children how to submit and obey. Why? Because you're the king, you're the queen? No, because there is one king. There's really one father. And God wants to teach us how to submit and obey him through our parents. Believe it or not, you and I are not born with a proclivity, with a natural, you know, I just want to obey people around me. I just want to submit. Anybody a big fan of submission? You know what? You can't even talk about submission without people treating it like a dirty word. If you say the word submit, all of a sudden people's, people's eyebrows go up and they're oh no, he's about to talk about submission. People don't like it because we're not born with that. The Bible says if you want to be transformed, if you want to live the Christian life, learn to submit. Learn to obey. That's part of how to serve with integrity. We also serve with reverence. In, uh, in the rest of verse 9 in chapter 10, he says, Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back. This includes teenagers, by the way. Well-pleasing, not talking back, or stealing. And, and get this, I, I can't go into a deep dive. The word steal doesn't just mean like what we think, you, you walk in there, you take something, and you try to get past security. Stealing means gaining something and taking something that's not yours in a many ways. Actually, the examples of this particular word is less commonly about just stealing something from the marketplace and more about trying to achieve and take something that doesn't belong to you. It's kind of like our religious idea of like coveting and, and taking what doesn't belong to you. 
And so if you're a servant, if you're going to serve someone like your spouse, if you're going to serve your spouse, don't try to take something just for your own benefit that really doesn't belong to you. Give. Don't be a taker, be a giver. If you're going to serve your employer, your, your boss, uh, and I'm speaking to us in here too, serve that boss, serve that employee, and don't try to take what really belongs to them. Give to them. Try to take, don't try to take, try to give. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 5, slaves obey your masters with fear and trembling. This idea of fear and trembling means you respect them, you revere them. Uh, Colossians 3, 22, he, he mentions fearing the Lord. When you serve with integrity or you serve with reverence, you're, you, imagine that, that God is watching you at all times and you really respect God. And so serve as if you're with the Holy Spirit and he's watching you and everything you're doing. Every notepad, you know, there's always jokes about working in an office. You know, you're taking papers that don't belong to you, tools, things, or if you're a construction worker, you're taking things that don't belong to you. Or if you're actually, if you're a servant of someone else, someone's hired you, and you try to cut corners, and you don't give them the benefit, you give you the benefit, that whole concept of taking and taking without any kind of reverence of God, without any kind of desire to give is what the Bible says. That's the opposite of His way, of the new Christian life way. So with fear and trembling, fearing the Lord, 1 Peter 2.18 Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. You give respect even to those that are scallywags. If they are your boss, if they're in authority over you, serve them with the kind of fear that, as if, you know, I'm really not working for them, I'm working for God. So serve them with integrity. Uh, serve when no one is looking. Uh, chapter 2, verse 9, and, or verse 10 demonstrating utter faithfulness. Uh, Ephesians 6, 6, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Be a slave of Christ by serving and being a slave of the people around you. Colossians 3, 22, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers. Uh, you know, some of us are people pleasers, but when no one's looking, we're self-pleasers. The idea is live your life as if you're not just a self-pleaser but you actually want to work for God. So when we serve with integrity, God says that's true greatness. So serve people with integrity. Second, serve with joy. Serve with joy. Uh, serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, Ephesians 6, 7. A good attitude. Um, are you happy to serve Jesus? Ask yourself this. When you're serving, serving people, is it begrudgingly? Right? I've done this before. I, I've done it to where someone's like, you better do this. And I'm like, okay, fine. And then you do it. But you do it with just disdain, disgust. Like, I'm not happy to do this. I'll do this, but I'm not happy about it. The Bible says that's not a good attitude. Serve with integrity in the sense of, uh, or serve with joy in the sense of, you are happy to serve the Lord, not just people. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew 25, he said, if you did it for them, you did it for me. If you did it to them, you did it to me. Jesus over and over tried to open our eyes to how you treat the people next to you matters to God. How you, how you are with the people around you affects your relationship with God. Not because he's, he's not like a, a referee over you, 
but it matters to him. He cares about it. Like if you and I, if you mistreated my son when I'm around you, I'm going to be different with you. I, 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 our relationship's going to be broken and torn, and it, there's going to be an issue with us if you treat my loved ones wrongly, and that's God's heart. Don't treat the people around you wrongly because he loves them. He loves the world. So do it with gladness and then do it with gratitude, Colossians 3.24, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. Why serve with joy? Because God is the one who rewards you, right? Like if I'm serving someone, like right now, I serve. I don't just do it for money. I, there are some times when I serve because I'm anticipating a great reward, like this person's life is going to be changed. This person's going to become a Christian. They're going to give their life to Christ. This person is going to have a renewed, transformed mind by the truth. I serve with gladness because there's going to be a reward. There's fruit for my labor. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not just growing literal plants, which is good and needed. I'm growing spiritual, or I'm not growing, but God is growing spiritual fruit through our works. God's desire is that we are fruitful. And so you can serve with gratitude because God rewards those who serve him. Ephesians 6, 8, he will receive this back from the Lord. Uh, Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he mentions the slave, he will receive this back from the Lord. So we we can serve with joy knowing that there's a reward at the end of it. We can also serve with assurance. You know, you can serve people knowing that Bad bosses, bad masters, bad parents, they can't stop you from what God is doing in you. When you serve others, it's not like, well, if I serve them, it's just going to lose. Like, why serve this horrible master? Well, God says you can serve knowing that even a bad boss can't stop you from the reward or or the good. Uh, This is why we can serve sinful people. Some are going to be bosses and masters that are unfair. And God addresses that. He tells us in 1 Peter, you are going to serve people that are going to mistreat you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this. You were called to serve people as their slave, even if they're unfair. Why? For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Teenagers, employees, you know, children of spouses, you know, God has called us to serve our employers. He's called us to serve even the unfair ones. Why? Because he set the example of what it looks like to suffer unjustly. Serve even if people are unfair to you. No one gets away with treating people unfairly, by the way. The Bible reminds us of this. You can serve with assurance because guess what? People that treat you wrongly, they're going to get theirs. No one, no one gets by. It's not like people get by free with their unfair treatment. Verse 25 in Colossians 3, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Masters, treat your slaves the same way. 
The same way in Ephesians chapter 6, loving them, treating them rightly, in the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. People are not going to be, not going to get away free if they treat people unfairly. So you can serve with joy. And third and lastly, you can serve with purpose. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. There is a so that beyond all this. One is you're following Christ's example. You're doing what he showed. And when you, when you serve people, when you serve them with joy and integrity, when you make yourself a slave to the people around you, it adorns the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Paul did not have to end that sentence in everything. He could have just said, you know, this is helpful. He says, this helps God's word and who he is and what he says in everything you do. It affects your whole life if you serve people like this. It affects everyone from your family to your friends to your church to your neighbors, your community, whatever group you're part of. It affects everything you do when you live this way. How you live either points people to God and His Word or it pushes them away. We don't influence others by what we teach only, but how we live. That's what real service looks like. And uh, I'll tell you, I was convicted by this passage thinking, uh, am I a servant at home? Have I made myself a slave to my family, to the people I work with, the people I genuinely love? I know I love them, but am I serving them? Am I really a slave? Am I serving with joy and integrity and with purpose? And um, so I hope this is challenging for you as you're thinking about it. Um, I hope this is challenging for you online. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to have a baptism. And I'm going to go ahead and set us up so I can explain what baptism is. And we'll watch a video, a testimony of, uh, of why Brenda is choosing to get baptized today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Uh, you have called us to be the servant of all, to be slaves to one another. What a high calling. What an honor it is to, to know that when we see, serve the people around us, we're really serving you. Would you convict us and help us to serve the people that you've put into our lives? Help us to serve our neighbor. Help us to serve this community. I'm thankful for the community that we live in, the different communities that we represent just here in central Kansas. Would you help us to be true servants to the people around us, that it would adorn your truth and that it would draw people to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.